I had my second daughter. And one of those things that I really learned then and there was I want to show my girls that they can do absolutely anything that they want in the world. And for me, that meant doing my own thing. Hey, feasters, and welcome to episode eight of season three of Live in the Feast. Val Geisler is the email guru. She creates email campaigns that connect, that convert, and make her clients' businesses stand out amongst all the noise inside of their customers' inboxes. I've followed her SaaS teardowns now for a long while, and I was honored to bring her onto the show. If you are new to the show, I'm Jason. And Live in the Feast is a podcast for freelancers like you looking to build a profitable business and get recurring revenue so that you can live the life of your own design. And if you aren't new to the show and enjoy what we do here, why not head on over to iTunes and hit that subscribe button so that you can get notified as soon as that next episode drop. And while you're there, go ahead and leave us a five-star rating and review. I would really appreciate it. And I might actually reach out and send you a gift. Unlike most, Val saw very early on in her career what niching could do for her and her business. She learned all of this from her work in the theater, which was a truly fascinating insight into how that industry works. And I learned so much that it does very well translate into freelance services. In this episode, you'll hear how Val focuses on her work as a means to show her daughters that they can do anything that they want, which obviously appeals to the reasons why I do what I do too, right? We chat also about how she shows the benefits of the services that she offers to her clients, how she approaches getting pushback on the value of writing amazing content, and how being specialized has given her the freedom to charge what she charges and the reasons for her pricing above all the others. So let me stop here and let's get into the show. This episode is brought to you by Feast, the premium online coaching and community designed for web developers, designers, marketers, and freelancers of all type wanting to specialize their business and build recurring revenue that's profitable and sustainable. Today's market is ever-changing and yesterday's advice won't cut it. Feast members get access to the roadmap and training library, which includes everything you need to niche down, build recurring revenue, and become that go-to respected person for your services. That together with monthly roundup calls, exclusive workshops, expert chit chats and our slack community you'll have everything you need to live the life of your own design if you're serious about not competing on price and having clients that respect you and your expertise then join feast head over to feastcourse.com today Hey, Feasters. And today's featured guest is Val Geisler. Welcome, Val. Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. Thanks for being here. So no doubt all of you out there have read some of Val's stuff before, whether you know it or not. I mean, she's written content for some of the best and fastest growing startups and companies out there. She's an email strategist, writer, 
an all-around email genius. If you haven't checked out some of her teardowns, go to her website, valgeisler.com and check that out. But she, she thinks big picture and crafts amazing detailed onboarding emails for her clients so that they turn their customers into raving fans. Val, I'm sure I didn't do enough justice to that, no, that intro. You really did. Thank you very much. <laughs> but uh, so tell us uh, a little bit about who you are and why you do what you do. Oh, yeah. So I'm a natural connector. I love connecting the dots between people or uh, tools that they need to be successful. Um, and so Customer experience is all about connecting the dots. It's about connecting the dots between uh, your brand and the customer. It's about connecting the dots between the customer and the job that they want to be done from your product. Uh, it's about really just finding those connection points, whether it's through an in-app message, whether it's through how they use your software or through an email. And really helping people see that there are human beings on the other side of the computer screen. I mean, I think that that's the most important thing in what I do is I try to bring the human element into a, a business situation because ultimately there is a person on the other end of that computer screen. They have their own thoughts and feelings and lives going on. And they're, especially these days, there are way too many opportunities to, uh, in as far as technology goes, to address that personal issue that uh, too many brands are missing out on. So I'm really passionate about helping people connect in a way that is personal and feels human, even when it's on the internet. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, similarly, that's, it's part of what I try to do from my services side and just to be able to, you know, I, I deal with on-site personalization and try to figure out who it is that's actually reading the website mm-hmm. and have them connect with the my client in a way that makes sense for them to be there yeah. and to resonate with them as a human. Because <laughs> us humans, yes, it might be ones and zeros on the screen, but us humans put those ones and zeros there. So um, I love that to be a, a connector, human connector. I love that. Yeah, I always say uh, they're people, not PayPal accounts. So it's like a <laughs> a good way to think about it because we're always so excited. Like, ooh, a sale came in. Ooh, there, that's a sales opportunity. No, they're they're people, and you don't have an email list. You have an audience of people. They are they're humans. They're not a list. Nobody is a list. That's not a thing. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, that's that's great. Yeah, it's a, it's a good. A good point to keep in mind as you build your business that, yes, it's a sales opportunity, but they are a human. And then you can't just, once you make that sale, because a lot of what I do is nurturing that sale, nurturing that customer relationship that you have and being able to essentially do more for them over and over and over and over again. Yeah. the only way you can do that is by understanding who they are as a person and 
that's what it really comes down to. Exactly right. You think about your favorite places to shop or go eat or, you know, and, and typically it's, I mean, it's the cheers factor. It's everybody knows your name. They know um, what you like. They, the bartender starts making your drink before you sit down. You know, <laughs> the, the coffee shop where they like start making your Americano when they see you walk in the door, that kind of thing. That's what we all crave as humans in this kind of automated world where, where if, when you look around, everybody's looking down at their phones. Nobody looks each other in the eye anymore. Nobody says hi. Um, we don't even interact with our grocery checkout. Pe- there's, they automated that process. <laughs> there aren't even checkout people anymore. We do it ourselves. Uh, so, you know, there's we live in this highly automated world and everyone wants to feel a personal connection in some capacity. And that's what we got to bring back to the online experience. Yeah, I totally agree. That's why mom and pop shops lasted 40, 50, 100 years. Yeah, and they're coming back. Right, because that's what people want. They want that connection. They want to have, they want to know somebody that's behind the business. Yeah, I was hearing that record shops uh, and vinyl sales is higher than it has been in the last like 40 or 50 years. Uh, And I think it's because we all want these like real personal and tactile experiences. Yeah, I definitely. So I like to ask everybody this question. What would you consider your defining moment in life so far? Mm-hmm. It would definitely be having my second child. Not my first, mm. but my second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, having my second daughter um, because I was then the mother of two girls And uh, they have a future to live. And I work in and live in this world of technology. And these two girls are going to be raised by the internet. And what does that look like? Uh, How do I represent a a working mother to them and uh, and a business owner? And, uh, you know, what is raising two girls in our modern society look like? And really just thinking through that, I mean, obviously there was an impact when I had my first daughter and that's, you know, becoming a mother in the first place. But I think I spent those first few years just kind of like trying to keep my head above water of becoming a mother. And then uh, with my second daughter, it was like, okay, but what are you going to do about it now? Because, you know, I, I wasn't drowning in new motherhood as much with this, with my second. Yeah, uh, I can... Definitely attest to that when we had our son, you know, he's one and a half now, but that was definitely, I would say if somebody asked me that question, that was the defining moment of my life. That's for me, I've had a lot of those similar questions and we've had discussions about it, me and my wife about, you know, what is this, what kind of a world is he growing up in that we have to be prepared for? Mm -hmm. And how do we, just in and of itself, we're both work at home freelancers. Yeah. So, so we're always around, right? And we've, we both have siblings who have older kids. I mean, they're younger. They're all within, you know, less than 10. But just how they talk and hearing our nieces and nephews talk about other people and other family dynamics. Yeah. You know, it's like (laughs) we think that TJ is going to go out into the world and be like, do your parents live with you? Or, you know, like, where do your parents go all day long? Like, yeah. <laughs> right? because we're home and which, how do we interpret that for him and, and the internet and all of that stuff and 
kids are just getting younger and younger to have a phone and it's like all these things. I'm like, holy cow, I'm still very much old school about, you know, letting kids explore, but at the same time with restrictions. So, yeah, I mean, well, and when you look at little babies and it's like their favorite toys are bottle caps and your keys, (laughs) um, you know, we don't need as much as we think that we do. Um, so, and I think that that, that mentality has, I don't know if it stemmed from my work or if it informed my work, but I tend to be more on the minimalist side. I mean, I do have two small kids, so I definitely have stuff. Um, but I, I do tend to think like, do we really need this in our house? And is it going to serve multiple purposes and, uh, and all of those things? And, and I, I think. Yeah, I don't know if that I've never really thought about that. But it definitely that mindset shows up in my work too. like, is it enough? Is it too much? You know, where can we repurpose this uh, piece of content or, you know, this this messaging? Um, It's kind of everywhere. It's I guess it's just who I am. And so I bring it into everything I do. Yeah. And, you know, being a business owner, I think I think it has to. Right. Like I, you know, For me, it, there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's work-life mesh, yeah. Right? Because like it's it's not one or the other. It, it's like I, you know, infamously in our household, you know, my wife and I, before we were married, we went out to California and we were standing online at Disneyland at, on a ride, and she's in. She does pay-per-click and AdWords and all that stuff. And I had to ask her a question about it. And she goes, really? We're on vacation. Can't you shut off for a little while? No. <laughs> so I think it's just a, a matter of how how we are as business owners and how we cater. Because for me, it's it's I work so that I can live not the other way around. Yeah. And sometimes it's when you're on vacation or driving through the country or whatever, you know, when you have that chance to turn your brain off that it actually turns on again, right? Like you get those questions and those ideas that pop up because you took the time away. So that might not have been the case in in your example, (laughs) but I'll I'll give you the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was definitely something that I was thinking, like it just popped into the head and I'm, I, I also ask ra- the most random questions at the random time too. Like, I just, she's like, what? how does your like, brain what? work? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the weirdest kind of questions. Like just for example, we were in the car the other day and I just thought about new car smell. And then I was thinking, do like, you know, if you work in a bakery, do you like, do you smell, you know, like as a baker, you come home smell, smelling yeah. like bakery. Right? Yeah. So if you work in a car factory, do you come home smelling like new car smell? (laughs) It's a good point. You probably do. Right. So, you know, I don't know. These are just the things that swirl around in my head sometimes. And it is what it is. Yeah. uh, I I don't know. I I think leaning into who you naturally are. I mean, that's what makes you so great at asking all these questions and hosting your show is that, you know, you do ask those questions. You ask the things that pop into your head. So lean into it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So, so when, I mean, you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, having a minimalist mindset and even though you have two young kids, there's obviously toys of all shapes and sizes everywhere. But at the same time, you said, you know, in the business world, you think about how you can repurpose 
content, how you can repurpose maybe this phrase yeah. or in some sort of way, how do, how do you present that to your clients who are, and, and I don't know, I mean, you've worked with some great companies before, but some of my clients sometimes are very focused and have tunnel vision. So they don't think about this, these bigger picture type things. Yeah, I think it's it's just something I naturally do where I see all the opportunities for a piece of content or research. Um, for example, when I work with clients, I uh, unless it's already been done by somebody I trust and it's been done recently, I go in and I do customer research. So I'll interview customers, I do surveys, uh, and I gather all that data. And I definitely use it on the project that we're, that I work on. So the, the onboarding emails or retention emails. But then I, I present it to the client and I say, look, you get to use this research for at least the next year. As long as the product doesn't change drastically or, you know, the, the audience changes, um, this research is valid for the next several months, if not longer. So mm. I, try and show them where they can really save time and money by repurposing. I think that that's the biggest thing that that really turns the light bulb on for for most of my clients is like, oh, okay, so I just spent this money on the, the customer research for you with you doing it, but I don't have to do it again for another year. And, you know, I, I can reuse it on my marketing website or, you know, our uh, affiliate program or whatever we have going on. But you can use all that content in multiple different ways. And I kind of give them the idea of what that might look like. So they're, they're recognizing that, wow, this work is done and we can use it again and again. And I've only paid for it once. So even with content, when I'm working with a client on an onboarding sequence, for example, and they say, oh, well, I just, you know, we don't, we don't really have the budget to have you write new content. We would just really want to like framework and, um, you know, put together an idea of what we should have. And we'll, we'll either, you know, maybe we'll take care of it in house. We'll write the content ourselves. Right. Like, okay, cool. So here's the framework and here are these pieces of content that already exist on your blog that you could actually use in the emails because it's, unlikely that any of your brand new signups, any of your brand new customers are going through and reading every single post on your blog, mm -hmm. you know, so you can repurpose that content and put it into the emails. So if you don't want me to write something new and fresh for you, you can absolutely use what you already have as right. a foundation, at least get something out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something that I've said that to clients as well. You know, you have content already, especially if you have a blog, you know, the guy that came in yesterday or the girl that came in two days ago, chances are good that they didn't see what you wrote about last month. So you could use that as your starting foundation yeah. and see where, where it goes. Taking it a step back and what was the point at which you decided that you were going to start your own business? Was it because you saw opportunity in the market? Was it maybe you came from an entrepreneurial family? I'm curious to, because you have such a niched business, mm -hmm. right? It's focusing, yep. focusing on emails specifically, you know, people are like, how do I, you know, how do I just become a writer? Right. But you're focused so on, so on email. So how did that happen? <laughs> so I, 
I have a degree in theater production (laughs) Um, and I was a stage manager, which is uh, the person who is in charge of making sure that the show happens. You do a lot of communication between directors and um, like the wardrobe team or the lighting person or uh, the music director. uh, and, And then you track all of it. You create spreadsheets and you track everything everybody does. There are about 37,000 other things that you do every day. Um, And one of those things is that you work really long hours and you have a lot of autonomy and uh, ownership over your role. It's really on you to get it done. And uh, there's really nobody saying like, hey, you have to have this done by this day. You just know the show has to go up. So, I mean, I guess that that's what's telling you it needs to get done. But you really learn to work independently and uh, and lead a team to getting a beautiful show produced at the end of the month or, you know, however long you have to rehearse it. You so I learned all of those skills and I practiced them for several years. Um, the the thing about theater is that you also really niche yourself in a way. So even performers like there are it's it's not common in the theater world, um, at least not anymore. They're they're called a triple threat: someone who can act, dance, and sing really well, all three of them. Um, so they can cross over between dramas and musicals, but and typically, you know, you take one track and you decide, hey, I'm going to be a musical theater major, or I'm going to be a drama major, or I'm going to be an opera singer. And Mm -hmm. even on the stage management side of things, you really can specialize in those areas too. And it makes you more attractive to future production companies. Early on in my professional career, right after I graduated, I worked at an opera house called Chautauqua Opera. I was not a stage manager there. I was a production manager, but it put the name opera on my resume. And from that point forward, I was purely an opera stage manager. I only worked for opera companies uh, after that for the next several years as a stage manager. It was really niched. Uh, and, you know, it it gave me a kind of crowd to hang out in. I was on this like email chain with a bunch of other opera stage managers. Everybody knew each other. We all, everybody hired each other. So whether you were, you know, this person's assistant on one show or the, they were your assistant on another show, it really helped help define you in this big, huge world of stage managers. I'm, I'm not doing dramas. I'm not doing musicals. I'm solely doing operas. Uh, there are certainly people who cross over in th- those different genres. Um, but, you know, you are infinitely more employable when you can say, hey, this is what I do and v- be very specific about it. So I learned a lot about niching there. I went on to, I I got really tired of traveling all the time, which is something you do for theater. (laughs) Um, So I kind of settled down in one city and I ended up working in in event productions because it's very similar. But I, you know, I I use those same skill set in this more event focused role. Um, I worked in sales for a little bit. So I learned about selling and then, then I worked in retail where I learned a ton about customer experience. Um, I did events for that retail company and I led a team and um, led customers. And, and it was like, 
I have a friend who, um, Natalie Lucier, she refers to it as a spiral staircase. It's not a, it's not a ladder as this corporate ladder, but it's like a spiral staircase of, you know, you're kind of going in the same direction. It just looks a little bit different each, each few steps. <laughs> so I really like that analogy because that's what it feels like for my career of like, okay, well, theater to events to retail to now you run your own business. Um, I ran my own business for uh, about five years before I ended up working in-house for an email marketing company. So I was a I was a project manager when I was running my own business, and uh, and then I worked in-house as the content creator and first marketing hire for an email marketing company, which is where I really learned a lot about email and saw the value in honing the customer experience through email. I learned the power of email over social media or really any other form of communication with customers and combined all of that when I, um, I that defining moment, I had my second daughter. And one of those uh, things that I really learned then and there was I want to show my girls that they can do absolutely anything that they want in the world. And for me, that meant doing my own thing and freelancing and being out in the world. And, and then there was other, you know, logistical things of like, I was a new, (laughs) new mom with limited hours to work. And so freelancing made sense for me, um, on, on many levels. Uh, so I, I took everything I had done, project management, events, customer experience, even theater and production and, and niching and went into this, this role of being, an email marketing strategist. It definitely took me time when I went back into freelancing. Fairly soon after leaving the company, I got on Philip Morgan's email list. And I highly mm-hmm. recommend Philip's work for anyone yeah, who's good. interested in specialization. Yeah, he's he's so great. And uh, he has a podcast and an email list. And Philip speaks directly to developers, but I knew... Oh, I can replace the word developer with marketer, copywriter, or whatever I wanted to put in the fill in the blank. Uh, and Philip taught me everything I know about specialization uh, in the online world. So I had a level of comfort with it from my work in theater and a familiarity with that. But uh, it was really through being on his daily email list that I honed and refined that I do email marketing, conversion, copywriting, and strategy. And, you know, I get asked to do landing pages and sales pages and marketing sites and all those things. And I can do them, but I don't do them because I am really good at what I'm really good at. And I can lean on my network for everything else. Yeah, that's that's. That's awesome because uh, for one, I didn't know that about the theater business, but you know, you learned the value of niching down way earlier than most. Yeah. Um, It's, it's, you know, I, I, I mentor other freelancers and a lot of times they're always like, what if I do that, I'm going to leave money on the table or, you know, all the, all the excuses, but to see that value as early on in the process as possible really helped define how you landed, right? Like today, in today's world, right? And what you're doing today. And yeah, like you said, I love that analogy too, that spiral staircase thing. I'm definitely going to steal that now. Yeah, it's really great. And, you know, even thinking about like, 
Jason, we probably wouldn't even know each other had I not been as specialized as I am, right? Like right. I would just yeah. be another marketer in the world of marketers um, or copywriter <laughs> in the world of copywriters. And and I quite honestly would not be charging the prices that I charge. Right. And yep. I charge because I provided immense amount of value and I'm highly specialized in this area. It's what I read about. It's what I educate myself about. I'm constantly going to trainings and learning and conferences and workshops on the area of email marketing specifically. So, you know, I am a specialist in in that field and I can guarantee you that, you know, you get what you pay for when it comes to specialists. And, and that is, that's been a huge benefit for me is that I can dive in deeper with my clients because I'm able to charge a higher rate than what I used to be able to charge when I was kind of more of a marketing generalist. Yeah. hundred percent. Like enough said, <laughs> you're not going to get any argument from this guy. Uh, so before, before we wrap up, what does life look like for you into the future? I know that you, you mentioned that you're having a specific workshop for freelancers yeah. and those of you out there that aren't on Val's list, go get on that list. Um, that's where you'll find out about this workshop, but it's, really geared towards email strategy and, and I guess geared towards freelancers, right? Yeah. So I, uh, there are a lot of copywriters and freelancer, freelance marketers and copywriters specifically who are in my network and are, you know, have reached out to me and said, I really want to learn more about the, the kind of tech side of email and the strategy behind it. And I know that I can charge my clients more. I can deliver better results for them when I'm doing more than just like turning over a Google Doc of right. of words. And so I I saw that that is a huge need and it's something I can absolutely address. It's the, my favorite part of what I do. So I figured I would put on a workshop for it. And um, and yeah, everyone on my email list will be the first to hear about it. Uh, they, my email list subscribers will also get a, since they'll be the first to hear about it, there'll be an opportunity for them to sign up for the workshop at a very reduced rate. And then I'll push it out to the public at, you know, it's, it's regular price. But um, I'm thinking about probably uh, the end of the summer, beginning of fall, and, so that you can throw that into your, your fall packages and mm-hmm. uh, add strategy on as a, a bonus and give yourself a raise this fall. So yeah, sign up for my my email list and I'll email you when that workshop is ready to go and uh, we'll make it happen. Awesome. Yeah. And where, where's the best place for people to sign up? Uh, your website? Yeah, my website. Uh, it's valgeisler.com. It's G-E-I-S-L-E-R. And uh, right there at the very top, there's a an opt-in. So you can put your name and email address in there and then I'll say hi to you. And I do respond to all of my emails. Um, so please say hi. Tell me who you are. I would love to get to know you through my email and uh, and then come to the workshop and hang out because it will be uh, there will be an opportunity if you're able to attend live. There'll be a recording, of course. But if you're able to attend live, we'll do some question and answer and some some live in the moment strategy. So um, bring a project you want to work on, even if it's your own email list uh, or definitely your own email list. And, <laughs> uh, and we'll work on it together and I'll get to know you a bit better. Awesome. That's great. Yeah, I'm going to 
get on that list too. Cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know I could learn a, learn a thing or two. And definitely check out her blog too. She does awesome email teardowns of famous companies or well-known companies that that you are probably a customer of. So go ahead and check that out too. So thanks, Val. This has been awesome. I'll link up all of Val's links and where you can reach out to her on Twitter and everything in the show notes. Definitely go check her out and get on her email list and uh, be the first inside that workshop if you can get ahead of me. (laughs) So um, thanks again. And everyone, until next time, it's your time to live in the feast. Thank you so much for listening to today. If you enjoyed this episode, then head on over to liveinthefeast.com and subscribe. Leave Val and I a five-star rating review in iTunes as well, as it'll help others like yourself find this episode. Next week, I'll be back with Bridget Willard, where she shares how she's niched down her business of being social on Twitter. Until then, it's your time to live in the feast. Mm